0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You're listening to Career Crossroads, and if you're new here, welcome. And if you're not new, welcome back. My name is Jonathan Colleton, and this is my podcast where I talk to one person each week to find out all the decisions that led them to their current career. This week, I speak to Yemi, who is an economist who lives in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. But Yemi's from Nigeria, so how did a career path take her all the way to Edmonton? Let's listen in and find out. And when she's done, as I do every week, I'll share some things that I think we can learn from Yemi. Yemi, welcome to Career Crossroads. We've been dealing with a little bit of technical difficulties, but we have solved it and we are good to go. Exactly. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you wanted to be on this show so we got connected at VidFest which mm-hmm. was a conference we both attended about a month ago right yeah. now and uh, 4 or 5 days long. I had a great experience at VidFest. Um, yeah. It was it was so valuable. I got to see all these great sessions about how to try and turn a podcast into maybe a video podcast and you know uh, leverage different social media platforms and stuff like that. So super yeah. valuable. And on top of that, I met you and somebody else who's going to be interviewed for this podcast. And nice. when you reached out and you told me you had this podcast that you were doing and I listened to it and I heard that you had a good recording microphone and then I looked <laughs> you up on LinkedIn and I saw what I saw enough to be like, oh, wow, I got to talk to her. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> so so I'm super thrilled for us to, to chat today. Mm-hmm. So I always start off with all my guests by just talking a little bit about kind of your background and. Because we usually start our career path somewhere towards the end of high school, i like to know in high school, what were you like? Where were you living? What influenced you? All that kind of stuff.
1: Oh, for sure. Again, thanks for having me. So I am Nigerian by birth. And of course, that's where I grew up. So um, I went to a high school called Queen's College, um, Yaba Lagos. Yaba Lagos is a location where it is. And it's in Lagos, Nigeria. And so it was a boarding school. It wasn't a school where you go home and come back. You stay there for a couple of months and then you go home. And there was a day aspect where you had some students who would go back and forth, right? Um, so those are the students who primarily live in Lagos. But because I lived in a different city, I was a border. And so in high school, I was, I think I'm pretty much the same as I am now. Um, A little bit rambunctious, a little bit nosy, but sometimes quiet as well. Just a little bit of an ambivert. Um, But even then, if I said I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would be absolutely lying. I knew I wanted, I'm driven and I knew I wanted to be successful in whatever I was going to do. But like most sixteen, seventeen year olds, I was essentially hurry up and get me out of here. That was yeah. essentially what I was, right. Um but the way it works in Nigerian high schools, um we have what we call the junior secondary and senior secondary school, which is closer to the English um European um English way of doing things because we were colonized by Britain. Um so in the senior secondary school, which I believe is close to the senior high um, over here in Canada, um, you get to choose whether you want to go down the science path or the more arts path. And arts is just another way for saying not science. Gotcha. So for me, I absolutely loved biology. I absolutely like loved so many things I had to do with it. I think I, that was one of my highest scoring subjects. And so everyone thought, oh, my God, you're going to be a doctor. But here's the trick. I hate it. I still do. I hated chemistry so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that uh, being a doctor from what I have uh, taken from talking to other people requires a lot of prescribing medications and things like that. And that requires an understanding of the chemistry of those medications. So I certainly see how that's a barrier to being a doctor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could do it. I just hated it, and I'm not sure how your listeners feel about stuff like this. But for me, I'm a little bit of a visual learner, right? With biology, with biology, I can see it, I can touch it. If you tell me you have your eyes, you have your, you know, all the parts of it, you know, your nose, your mouth, and I could visualize it. With chemistry, you have these things that are supposed to be round, and they have atoms and like all the things. I'm just like, why is this thing binding with this other thing? Just stop (laughs) right anyway before i ramble on too long essentially um at that point i decided i was going to do the arts route i still i still read a lot about like biology and i find it still fascinating because i i I still love it but i went the arts route with a focus on accounting and economics simply because i didn't want to deal with chemistry anymore i was done
0: (laughs) yeah it's uh it's interesting when you have to kind of make that call, like, do you want to end up studying something that you're going to regret years later? Because, well, you know, it would lead to a good career. It's, you're not going to be happy doing it, right? Uh-huh. So you end up picking, uh, what would you say? It's, it's the arts route and it's finance and accounting?
1: Yeah, there was arts. So the science route takes you biology, physics, chemistry, um, but the arts route. Now, I have a funny story about that. I always, I oh, seem perfect. to have funny stories about everything. This is a
0: funny story <laughs> podcast. I want funny <laughs> so stories. So I have a
1: funny story about that. So in when you're going from your junior to your senior year, you have to go talk to a guidance counselor. And so what the guidance counselor does is that they let your parents sit outside because it's supposed to be your choice. But we all know your parents talk to you before you get there. We all know you get the ears drawn. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be an engineer. So what had happened was, because as I said, I am a little bit... Not a little, a little, kind of. I'm still a little stubborn, maybe just a little bit. So I remember just before we went in, because, you know, I was killing in biology. But so my mom was like, you know, we'll really like you to be a doctor. I was like, mm hmm. My dad was like, yeah, 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 we should do this. I was like, mm hmm. So of course, um, They don't typically let the parents inside. My mom is super persuasive. She kind of got in, but they were like, okay, you come into the room, but you don't talk because we have to talk and counsel her and then it has to be her choice. And so being the human that I am, before we got in, I was like, oh, sure, I'm going to do the medical route. Yeah, sure. And as we got in, the first thing I said was, and I looked, I had this ridiculous smirk on my face. I looked at my mom because I knew she couldn't say anything. And I said, economics. (laughs) and you can see her face like it was like so
0: so they're actually sorry are they in the room with you and they just aren't supposed to say anything they're not
1: supposed to say anything oh
0: my that's uh (laughs) that's uh yeah that's a bit different uh that is not what my experience was like visiting my guidance counselor in high school so like what is the percentage of parents who don't say anything do they get kicked out if they say something
1: they're typically not even supposed to be in the room, but oh, I think my okay. mom was super persuasive and she got into the room. I think sometimes gotcha. they allow, as long as the parents promises to keep quiet. Um, yeah,
0: and so you knew that she wasn't going to say anything. And I knew. You were going to so do what you wanted to do. I did. So I was like, economics,
1: accounting, literature. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Literature. That's like the farthest
0: thing from doctor.
1: (laughs) And then um, I could see she was getting so mad. I was like, oh, my God. But you know what she now said, like towards the end, she now said um, she's like, oh, excuse me. Can I talk? And the lady was like, fine, sure. And she's like, can you leave one spot for me? So you have to choose nine courses. But before your final, final exam, which is what I think here, it's the I don't know if it's sat in Canada because I didn't do high school here, but. It's close to what we call your school leaving certificate to leave high school to get to university.
0: Yeah, it'd be SATs in the U.S. In Canada, okay. we don't actually have a test like oh. that when you leave high school. You just apply to each university or college you're interested in based on your high school grades.
1: Oh, that's yeah. even better.
0: <laughs> Lesson so, learned.
1: Exactly. So um, the school leaving certificate, which would have been equivalent to the SAT, um, I think we had to do, you had to take six I think it was six courses that you had to sit and write. If I remember, if someone in Nigerian hears and is not correct, it's been a long time since high school. Um, so it's six courses or so. And then you had, but for your three years before getting there, you had to take nine courses. And you could drop one each year until you got to the course six or so that you had to take for your exams. And so I kept going and I could, you know, the funniest thing is, you could kind of see the thought part patterns forming in my mom's head. Like you could, I could see her thought patterns forming, and she's like, "Okay, can you please leave a spot for me?" And it's a course she can drop. My t- my counselor was like, "Okay, sure." So, at the end, my mom, my mom looked at me and she smiled. You know the kind of smile like after I'd been being smirky and everything. So she smiled and she's like, "Further mathematics." So further math. Is the furthest thing from the arts field, but it is also advanced math.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so even basic math was never my strong suit back at that point in my life. So, yeah, um, that would scare the hell out of me.
1: So, basic math. So, basically, with arts, most people just take the basic math, but with sciences, you had to take both basic and advanced. Okay. So my mom just said, "Oh, further math, right?" And then she, as we walked out of the room, she's like, "Yummy." Yeah, You will not drop that course till you're you're about to write your final, final, like your YA exams. She was not kidding. She's like, if you ever fail it, I will hold you back a grade. Oh, that is
0: extreme.
1: (laughs) That was my punishment. (laughs) But you know the funniest thing, how life goes, you know, what? like life goes really funny. I actually did much better in further math than I did in basic math. And I'm not sure why. Maybe it was a fear of my parents.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to... I don't know you that well, but I'm going to (laughs) put that one right up there. Or it
1: was just the idea. Like, it was for me, I just found it like... I don't know. I did much better in further than basic math. And as I've gone on in life, especially as I went further and went into economics as a field, that was more helpful than basic math. Because... Core economics is advanced math.
0: Mm. Which I didn't you know, know. But you know Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good story. And I think like one of the things I'm realizing hearing that, that's probably the longest I've spoken to anybody so far about high school. But, but it has like you are recognizing even now mm-hmm. that that one course that your mom made you take made. is the thing yeah made <laughs> you take under threat of basically home imprisonment for a year Pretty being much. held back a grade whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. um that is the thing that ends up being so beneficial to you now yeah so anyway i guess as you're wrapping up all those courses and then uh, you mentioned a test for certificate. That's kind of like the SATs. Mm-hmm. So what's, the, what's your kind of route then after you've taken all these courses into further education?
1: So after I took those courses, what I did was I, um, so the way it works. So I never really, really intended unschooling unschooling abroad for my university. But the Nigerian education system has its own faults where sometimes getting into university can be super hard. Or, you know, the university goes like sometimes on strikes and things like that. So by the time I wanted to go directly in, there was that I had to have a gap year. So okay. I finished I finished school, high school a year earlier, like I was younger than my peers. But I had a gap year where I just kind of stayed at home, which was honestly was really good for me in, in, at the end of the day. Because, you know, that having that mental break, I didn't know I needed it, but I kind of did. And so at the same time, so what I did after that, I went to a school called the University of Joss. It's located in Plateau States, Nigeria. And so where that, it, what that is was a two-year diploma in business administration. At that point, I had kind of decided I wanted to be an accountant. And so that's where I went that route. So it was a two-year course. Um, I went there. So that's kind of the route I took. Now, I have another funny story. <laughs> okay. I, I have them. It's like I have pivotal points in life, right?
0: Before before you just get into that, what would mm-hmm. be the age you would have been when you finished that two-year diploma?
1: So, I finished that two-year diploma, I would have been 20.
0: I would have been 20. Okay. So, it's pretty much similar to if, mm-hmm. if you're in high school in Canada and went to college for two years, you'd come out at... 20, give or take. So I just wanted to see if it all lined up. All right. Funny story.
1: Yeah. So I would have been 20 when I came out. And it was interesting because at that point I was super gung-ho about being an accountant, you know. And the only reason I wanted to be an accountant was because, and I missed this when I spoke about high school, but in high school, at first, when I first moved into the arts, I struggled with accounting. But the problem was when I went to meet my teacher, he had a preference for a certain set of students who were paying him for extra lessons okay <laughs> so I, again I said stories so this this teacher and I remember his name but I won't say it um, mostly because it's burned into my memory because I had this like resentment um so there were students so you could I don't his, even know him
0: I'm already resentful
1: <laughs> so there are some stu- there there's some teachers that would take you extra lessons you know to help you bump up your grade or not to bump up your grade but just to help you b- do better but I found that every time I went to ask him questions, he wouldn't be as responsive. Then he'll be like, well, you should come for like the extra lessons. And stuff." I'm like, I don't want to pay you for something that should technically be your job. Mm -hmm. Again, I said, I've always been stubborn, probably always will be. And so what I did was I essentially ended up teaching myself the course. And so because of that, like I learned it at my pace because I could visualize it my way. Um, I became really good at it.
0: To the extent that
1: I kind of wanted to do it like in your face, you know. <laughs>
0: I'll show you. I'll do it on my own.
1: Exactly. So when I went, to, by the time I went to this diploma program, um, I was like, oh, I really like accounting. I'm really good at it. I'm just going to do it. But two things happened. So I saw this picture, cartoon depiction of an accountant with suspenders and a little bit of a hunch over a bunch of papers somewhere in the basement. And it was like supposed to be some kind of cartoon depiction of an encounter. I was like, I don't want to look like that. So that was the first thing. It was in a newspaper. And the second thing is the lady I was living with, um, her mom is an economist, and she's a PhD in economic, economics. And so she made this comment about how not everyone could make it in economics because it's not for everybody, it's only for the elite of the most elite. And I was like, I could do that because we're having a conversation. I was like, I could do that. She's like, no, you know, just not that you couldn't do it. It's just like accounting is the easier route, and economics, probably not. I was like, what are you talking about? So I held that in my heart. I finished my course. And so that that was the two, those, those are two things that eventually played into my decisions when I got into university proper after the
0: diploma. (laughs) Okay. So, so yeah, you have these interesting experiences of things you saw and things people said to you Mm -hmm. and you do that two year business diploma. And when you come out of that was the idea to immediately look for work or you mentioned, um, university proper, I think is what Mm -hmm. you said. So were you Mm -hmm. immediately looking at further education right away?
1: Yes. So the diploma wasn't my ideal choice. It was essentially supposed to be rather than waiting at home, because as I said, sometimes getting into university in Nigeria can be challenging. So rather than waiting at home for two plus years, you know, just essentially just chilling, I didn't want to do that. I took some time. So again, there was like a three, almost a three year gap. So I took some time at home, but I got into this diploma program just almost like a bridge just so, just so that I wouldn't have to stay at home. Gotcha, but my okay. goal was always to go into university and get an undergraduate degree. So yeah, after the diploma program, I moved straight into an undergrad. I think I had like a week break between my diploma. And oh, my that's really quick. <laughs> yeah, like because I got my admission into Eastern Mediterranean University located in North Cyprus, um, in, yeah, in the Mediterranean. And so I got my admission and the visa... And so with those visas sometimes they give you um so by the time it arrived at my parents house it was a week to expiry right so, so you got to yeah, yeah. so I, I had to get into the country before the visa expired so
0: i essentially Which just is, liked- so like that's a fascinating story because I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen to this who've never had anything like that happen to Mm -hmm. them. Um, A lot of of the friends I was interviewing when I started this podcast were people went to university with me and they weren't people who were worried about international student visas or anything like that. So that's Mm -hmm. a totally different experience. I do want to explore, how did you end up picking Cyprus to go for university? Because there's got to be a story there. There And I know this because, I mean, like (laughs) Cyprus to me, I I knew Cyprus. I studied history, and so I know Cyprus from like the ancient world or not even the ancient world, but like the era of uh, the crusades, like 800 mm-hmm. years ago. That's the Cyprus I was well aware of. Yeah. And I'm so embarrassed because I was doing a geography test one time just for fun. There's this Mm -hmm. website called Sporkle and it's all about quizzes. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I can name every country in Europe, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I got almost all of them. And then Cyprus showed up and I was like, wait, what? Cyprus? I didn't know it was a country. And I feel so dumb about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just me. That's my funny story. So how (laughs) did you end up picking Cyprus?
1: Okay, that's another funny story. Again, I... Honestly, I feel like your listeners like I just didn't realize. Sometimes you just stumble through life, and life happens. Just roll with the punches. So that's exactly oh, what happened. A
0: hundred percent. I said it on one of the podcasts before that, like we, people are gonna realize that we're all just figuring this out as we go. There's no plan. It just happens.
1: Exactly. So technically, I personally was really gung ho about going to University of Jaws. Had both the diploma program and the undergraduate program. So. My goal was to get into the undergraduate program. Now, what had happened was my mom's friend's daughter, I think, was in Cyprus already. And so she had approached me about it, and I was like, I'm not really interested. But what changed my mind was I saw the promo video, and people were on jet skis. I was like, (laughs) what? There's a beach. There's jet skis. Everyone looks so happy. I'm like, hang on. So I did a little searching. I was like, hang on. This jet ski thing is actually, like, legit. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to Cyprus because I saw a video with jet skis.
0: (laughs) That's a great story. You know, sometimes while I'm doing these interviews, I already know what promo clips to use for them. And that's one right there. (laughs) Okay. So Cyprus, you picked Cyprus. And is that a four-year program at the university? Yeah,
1: it's a four-year program. Um, So I got admitted for accounting and business. Okay. So as I said, remember what I just mentioned that I had those two experiences that kind of stayed on my mind. Mm -hmm. So what happened was um, I had just had that conversation and I had gotten my admission. But So the way it works, and I'm just going to give some background because I know not all your listeners are international students sometimes. So what happens is sometimes you get your admission. And so when you get your admission letter, there's a lag between when you receive your admission and when you can go. Because what happens is you have to use that admission in addition to proof of funds and things like that to apply for a visa. And so the country grants the visa based on if they think you know, you're know you a fit or you can go or you can pay and all that fancy stuff. So I had received my admission a couple of weeks before I got my visa and I had to go. So by the time I was having that conversation with my friend's mom, I already knew I was already admitted for a certain course. So when she had that conversation with me, I got so mad. I was like, what does she mean? Not everyone can do economics. It is not that hard. I can learn anything. So I, by the time I arrive in the country, I come in with my business and accounting um, course acceptance. I walk up to the admissions office and I'm like, can I change degrees? <laughs>
0: Like day one. Day you one want to change. I changed degrees. Yeah.
1: I never I never took a course uh,
0: down that other And it was that simple, eh? They just let you shift. Yeah, they
1: just let you shift. They just checked if there was enough spots, if your if your grades were okay enough to take it. And once they did, hmm. they just switched, mostly because I hadn't started any course in it. Because the, okay. the term hadn't well, started.
0: That's, that's pretty good. I mean, it's like that you're able to Realize, and not that it would be a mistake to have taken accounting, but you found something you were more driven to succeed at. It Honestly, seems like. I was just driven to prove someone wrong. <laughs> like- <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. No, I, I, totally, uh, I agree with that from what I'm hearing. Yeah. So, so. All right. So, what was the experience like? Were you on jet skis all every day? Um, actually, no. <laughs>
1: um, wow. It was funny because when you live. It's the same with any place. I'm sure some people have lived in Toronto for years and never gone on the CN tower.
0: I I never. I'm from Toronto my whole life. Never been in the CN CN tower. So it's
1: one of those things where you live in a place and you think, I always have time. I'll always get to it. But I mean, you're actually in school. Like you have classes maybe in the evenings and the courses were pretty intense. So between that and, you know, a student job, I was like, not as much. But the funniest thing is I did go to the beach quite a bit. You know, I got my first sunburn. Hallelujah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I, I I went to the beach quite a bit. Jet skis, no. I did go, you know those paddle ones where you can paddle and you look like a swan? I did that one. <laughs> like a, like a paddleboard? Yeah. Well, not a paddleboard. You sit in them. Oh, like a kayak. Kind of, but as you paddle, it has like um like, oh, know, like a paddle boat yes. yeah with your feet yes. you pedal yes yeah, yeah yeah i did that one gotcha i did that one i pe- I okay. pedal i use the pedal boat a bit the jet skis actually scared me when i saw them in person <laughs> that was the reason I <laughs> it's didn't not go. funny
0: it's like the main thing that attracts you to cyprus and you're like yeah maybe not no I,
1: like and it's funny because by the time i got to the island and it is a it is a beautiful place i would anyone that's interested in traveling feel free to visit it is a beautiful beautiful place Um, so, but by the time I got there and I saw the large expanse of the Mediterranean Sea, I was like, nope, not today, Satan, not today. (laughs) (laughs) So I paddled, I paddled close, I paddled close to shore and not any further. (laughs) I,
0: I understand that experience. Uh, the first. My uh, my wife likes to go on cruises. She went on them when she was younger with her family. So one time her and I went on a cruise. Mm-hmm. And the first night where we were out in the middle of the ocean and it was dark and there was nothing around Scary. us, I was like, oh my God, we're going to drown exactly. for sure. Exactly. Like, yeah. You start, that's you a start lot to hear
1: water. Titanic in your head. <laughs>
0: like... Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, I saw that movie and I don't want to go down like that. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, that was okay. Cyprus was it was good. I've made like obviously like most people that would go to undergraduate degrees, I've made, you know, lifelong friends. Um mm-hmm. it was it was an interesting experience because it was one of the things that um fed into and this is just a personal thing where I kind of decided that I wouldn't really live in a country where English wasn't the primary language anymore. And the reason for that, not because it's bad or good or whatever it is, is just that And that, it's funny, that experience has fed into where I volunteer right now outside my day job because I can understand how it feels to be in a place where even going to the bank is difficult. Because within Mm. the university itself, so for those who don't know, the northern part of Cyprus, the primary language is Turkish, while the other side of Cyprus, um, the south side, is Greek. And the south side is the one that is in the European Union while well, the north side has been trying to get in for quite a bit. So on the Turkish side, in the university, its English is spoken. So once you're on campus, you really have little to no problems. Now, when you're going out, of course, you need to get groceries, you need to get things like that. And that is, about the time I got in, was when they were expanding to get more international students who are not native Turkish speakers. So... Going to the grocery store and little things like, you know, bread or asking for a price or asking for looking for something and asking for someone what it was or even reading the labels on um, items was kind of difficult. You just kind of had to go with the visual right now. Thank goodness we have things like Google Translate, which you can just use your phone to translate on the spot. Um, but that experience kind of stuck with me for a real long time because until a lot more people outside the campus started to actually understand and able to communicate with us communication was difficult mm. so yeah. I, I encourage people to travel wherever and i think now technology has made life a lot more easier um but then at least in my first and second year it was pretty hard Like communicating outside campus. So, you, the the good thing, and that's why I said I made lifelong friends because the friends you make are end up being your core. Because, really, how many more people can you talk to?
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. right. It makes sense. Um, Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So, with, With that experience, it sounds like it was different than what you maybe thought at first, no jet skis, but it was still, um, I'm going to assume, a positive overall experience.
1: Overall, it was positive. And again, as I said, so right now I volunteer um, as a director slash treasurer with a local nonprofit here in Edmonton called the Cultural Connection Institutes, the Learning Exchange. And the whole purpose of that organization is to help people who are not native English speakers as adults to learn to speak English to be able to help them integrate. And from my... Ex- That's a great initiative. Yeah. And so for my experience, I felt drawn to it because I've been on the other side. I grew up speaking English. English is the overall um, national language in Nigeria. So I grew up speaking English, but going somewhere where I couldn't speak, you know, you kind of empathize with someone's difficulty in not being able to go to the bank properly. Mm -hmm. Like something as simple as that. It's yeah. But overall, as a school, as a experience, that was the only thing that really I struggled with a little bit, at least until, you know, you have your core friends and you kind of figure out. And of course, you learn the language, you know, people, when you travel Mm -hmm. to a new place, you learn the language a little bit. Um. But until I got to that point, that was a struggle. But overall, it was a positive, positive experience.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. And then as you wrap up at the end of that four-year program, given that um, you were there on a student visa, Mm -hmm. were you immediately planning to leave or did you have the opportunity to stay there for work? Or was that not really something you were thinking about? What was your plan for work? So
1: when I finished there, my plan was never to stay. Um, I'm fairly ambitious as you, (laughs) so, um, and Cyprus is a relatively small island. So there's only so much you can do before you naturally hit a ceiling first. And then even with that, you know, while I could understand the language, my fluency was not as it could be to be able to function properly in the workplace because the workplace will speak Turkish, not English. Um, Right. So with those two key factors, I decided like the next thing was to go to work. Now, and again, obviously I'm going to speak from Nigerian perspective. So Nigeria, we have something they call National Youth Service Corps, which is also shortened to NYSC. And so what that is, is um, Nigerians, young Nigerians, when you finish university, you are required, you know, technically you can get away with it, especially if you don't school in Nigeria, you can kind of bypass it. You probably shouldn't. But there is, it's a year where you have the first three weeks of almost like military drills. And then after that, you have the next um, couple of months of your year where you get posted or sent to random parts of Nigeria. The idea is to be of service to your community. So it's not like you're getting like a really well-paying job. You know, you're getting a job that is Mm service-like. So like a teacher like a counselor, something like that, right? Like a counselor's assistant. Um, But ideally, it should be close to your field. Um, So what happened is after university, my next goal was to go and do that. So luckily for me, I was able to get posted to the very same place where my parents lived. And I worked for a year with the Central Bank of Nigeria, which is equivalent to the Bank of Canada
0: or the Fed in the U.S., so these are like not just tiny little opportunities where like we could use a body here to help out. Like these are legitimate, very good learning experiences on top of being of service to the community. I
1: think it's a little bit of both. It's, it's all depends on where you get posted to. Okay. Or if you have a call letter, so which would mean that you may have into you may have um, interned with an organization and they want you back so you can ha- if oh, an organization see. actually requests you they would it it makes their job easier in kind of sending you somewhere so they just say go there um mm-hmm. but at the same time it could also be that um you just get lucky in when you get posted right some people gotcha. get posted to really 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 remote villages some people get posted to big cities some get get posted to small struggling organizations some people don't so it actually just it varies very very wildly um, I would say I was lucky and even blessed to be able to work, to get the opportunity I did um, to work with the organization I work with. So I worked in a microfinance department, So, which is not a thing I think that is big here. But essentially what microfinance is, is you're giving small loans to people who may not necessarily have a regular bank account. So this is like rural, gotcha. rural, comu- rural communities.
0: Oh, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not economics is not my area of expertise here, in finance, so I am I can't speak to that. But uh, all right, so that's a, a one year. Um, well, you said it was like three weeks of military, not military training, but like drill training. Yeah. And, well, and you then... stay
1: on a you stay on a military camp. It's kind of a military okay. camp. Um, but you call it NYSE camp because you're not really in the actual military camp, but it's militarized. Sure. Um, you stay there. You wake up in the morning. You do your marches. You know, salutes, and then you you yeah, go yeah. for
0: things like hikes and all that stuff. I mean, so there is very military style yes. training components. Yes. Of that. Okay. You don't so you don't use you any do firearms, that. but just the, everything else. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at the end of that uh, one year experience, how, is it? Like, do you have the opportunity maybe to stay and work full time at the bank or were you looking to just you've said you're very ambitious and I believe it from everything I've heard you say. So what were you I have to imagine there's like a bigger thing on your mind about what you're going to do. So personally, I wanted to do a master's.
1: Um, the idea is you could. So the way it works is some organizations, you know, they would say, oh, stay behind. You know, we really like you. They'll give you an offer letter. Your contract is always going to be for that one year. Now the organization has an opportunity to hire you after that, if they so please. Um, With that, I know the central bank was one that was really competitive. However, I really wasn't interested because what I wanted, I'd always wanted actually was to do a master's degree um, because I wanted like an advanced um, degree and I wanted one in economics. So having done an undergraduate in economics, I wanted a master's in economics. So ideally, I had been applying to different schools, and that's how yeah. I got admitted into Carleton University in Ottawa. That's how, kind of how I ended up in Canada. So I got admitted okay. into Carleton University in Ottawa for a master's in economics. And so right after my um, youth service, which
0: is what it's called, I went straight to stack school <laughs> again. Okay. So I want to pause there before we get into kind of what that was like and where that led you, because I want to know at the time Mm -hmm. when you were wanting to do the master's of economics, Mm -hmm. what was the hope in terms of where that would get you? Like, did you have a specific job that you wanted and the master's was a requirement to get that job down the line? Or did you just think if I get this good degree, Mm -hmm. good opportunities will come to me? I... This is still ambitious, and I've kind of changed my mind
1: now. Not necessarily because it's ambitious, but because I've learned more things where I think I may not enjoy it as I thought I would. But essentially, what I had done, there's this really, really successful economist Nigerian, and I'm not sure if you know who she is. Her name is Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iweala, and It was interesting to me, and that's why it's always important to have representation. Representation, you don't know who is touching wherever in the world, right? And so seeing this other Nigerian economist like me working in the World Bank, who is now the head or I think the head of the World Trade Organization as of 2020, I believe, was amazing. So she was my template, you know, hmm. I'm like, chic, and she is, for lack of a better word, just a badass. Like, you know, yeah. she.
0: That's what I have <laughs> to imagine. Yeah. Right.
1: And so essentially, I had essentially looked at her career path and said, I want that. So I kind of know to get there, at the very least, I need a master's degree. <laughs> and yeah i guess that would make (laughs) sense and she's obviously she's very very well accomplished i would encourage any of your listeners especially people just what and that was kind of what i did she she doesn't know who i am she doesn't know me from a hole in the wall but just seeing her career and how she has been able to move over 25 years at the world bank to coming back i working for a time in Nigeria to essentially now becoming the head of the World Trade Organization where she was in a very 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 tough competition with representatives from different countries is just amazing and she's still killing it till tomorrow but mm-hmm.
0: um Can can you say her name again for me so if anyone wants to look it up?
1: So Ungazi okonjo Unwela, so I will spell it so the first name is Ungo Oh don't
0: worry I have a transcript it's going to be written down below this. Okay.
1: So, Ngozi Okonjo Uela.
0: Perfect. All right. So, if you want to look her up,
1: yeah. that's the name. Yeah. She's amazing. And it was funny. And I think it wasn't, and of course, there are accomplished women everywhere. But first of all, she was an economist. Second of all, she was a Nigerian. And I was like, yo, <laughs>
0: you know, I can, I want to be there.
1: Exactly. So,
0: okay. Yeah. So you did have that that person in mind who was kind of your roadmap mm-hmm. to success. Yeah. And so when you were applying to these masters of economics programs, that was your goal yeah. after after taking the program. How did you pick Carlton? Um Carlton offered me a scholarship. <laughs> uh, easy <laughs> choice. Easy
1: choice. It was Carlton or a couple of other universities. And at that point, um, you know because i got a scholarship in cyprus as well so i had like a half tuition scholarship where i only paid like half the tuition for my time there um but at the same time for cyprus as well it was Carlton. um, carleton with scholarship then there was another school i can't remember which one right now but it was like a half scholarship but skeleton was a full ride it was like yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I th- I think that's the one I would pick too. So it was okay, money. <laughs> so yeah, how long of a program would that have been? It was a one-year program. One year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, like a, a fast accelerator program. So that I'm sure was a lot of work. It was. And
1: it was interesting cuz that was the first time cuz I I'm a little bit I'm you've probably figured this out, but I'm a little bit of an overachiever. So I think when I got there I struggled with the first little bit of my master's degree. And it was it was like a cold breath of water. It was like cold water, right? Because usually in most things, I excel and I excel very, very well. Um, once I put my mind to it and I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I usually go gung-ho sometimes at, to my own detriment and just, you know, excel. But I struggled at least with the beginning of my master's degree and that was the very first time, like, you know, when you start to have what they call the imposter syndrome, Oh, yeah. where you start to believe and doubt your own abilities. Um, so that was interesting. It was a really intense program.
0: Um, but I think that was- Have you ever reflected back and thought about why it was maybe that you struggled at first? I think it was, a. It, at first I
1: thought it was just me. And that was when I first arrived, right? Before you start to make friends, because again, moving to a new country. um I had a family friend here, but he, you know he was working, so he's like, we had a we're in different stages of life. And at first, I thought it was just me, and sometimes that's why I will encourage your listeners, wherever they are. when you start to have those syndromes, talk to other people in your peer group. So at first, when I started, I struggled that way. And to the extent that I almost thought that I needed to drop out and go and do a remedial program. So I was like, why would they give me a scholarship? I don't feel like I deserve this because I'm struggling so badly. But I ended up speaking, I ended up making these set of friends who I found out very quickly that though they schooled in Canada, because at, fr- at some point I started to think that it was my education. And that, you know, my education was substandard to Canadian education and stuff like that. Even though I had gone to, you know, whatever university, Eastern Mediterranean University. Um, So I started to, in my mind, think that maybe my education wasn't good enough or maybe I wasn't good enough. But then I made these friends within about a month or so when I started. And I found out that they schooled in Canada, but they were struggling as well. So,
0: yeah, when you finally talk to other people,
1: you realize you're not you're alone not anymore. alone. There's other people. Exactly. And so what ended up happening and was very critical to my success, I would very well attribute that to, was that we started to study as a group. So mm-hmm. there were parts where I was struggling that someone else was in and vice versa. So we ended up helping each other through school. And that was very critical because... It was interesting because at that point, at first, you know, everyone thinks you're alone. You're just coming in. It's a super competitive program. It's bell curved, which if you're, I don't know if your students, um, your listeners are aware of this, but essentially bell curve means 5% gets really high marks. 5% are definitely going to fail regardless. The bell curve, So if everyone does really well, even if everybody gets 90%, the person that gets 89 fails. Jeez. so it's a bell curved program because they want to make it super competitive so we you are studying with your competition because mm. your passing is dependent on someone else's fail yeah that's that's got to be that's got to be a, a difficult new experience yeah it was um but it was interesting because we would study together for the most of it for the most of it and then for the last couple of days before a test or something we would just like separate and just go do our own thing because we respect the fact that you know yeah this is your competition as well right like and you don't want to um, everybody at least personally I tend to need that time just by myself to just like dig in without people you know Mm -hmm. around or talking or stuff like that but yeah it was a different experience Um, and the reason I brought up that imposter syndrome is because I know a lot of people struggle with that, especially going into a new university or a new grade or a new something, new job, you know, sometimes just talking to someone, you don't even have to talk to someone in that same situation, but appear in a different university or something that you can empathize with or talk to, to just kind of
0: pull that out, right? Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, so with that experience, you get through that one-year program, Mm -hmm. and then How do you end up, like between then and now? What's the the path? Because you're still in Canada, Mm -hmm. so were you were you always intending to stay here? Did you think you were going to go back?
1: Yep, I wanted to go back because again, looking at Dr. Nguzi's like career path, she had always done like you know high brow like profile you know roles. So my plan was to go back um, to the central bank in Nigeria, work up then somehow find my way into the wor- um the World Bank. That's kind of, you know, my mm-hmm. my plan. It may still happen, who knows. Um, maybe if someone from the World pa- if someone from the World Bank is listening, you know. I, I have I have a live resume. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um what I did was so after I finished school, obviously like the way Canada works for international students is that you can have a work permit after school. So I said, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back. I was going to go back. But at first, I I wanted to get some job experience to help me as I go back into that market. So between looking for an economist-related job, I worked retail for a little bit. So it was interesting because um, that helped me in a way that you know, speaking to people. So right now, while I may sound extroverted, I'm a little bit of an ambivert. So I don't tend to approach people. You know, I kind of, I'm the kind of person that you'll see in a room who will hang back and until someone else says hi, then I, we have an actual good conversation, but I'll just hang back until such a time. Right. But being in retail kind of forces you to go outside of yourself and be a little bit uncomfortable and then go and approach people because the The store I worked, you actually had to walk up to someone, say hi. Do you need anything? Do you need this or that? What can I help you with? Um. So I worked that for a couple of months, and within that space, I was able to find a job in Newfoundland and Labrador. So at first, I was like, "Well, I really want to go back home," but my parents were like, "You know, I just try and get a little bit of a job experience, and once you do that." you know you can return
0: so coming from nigeria Mm -hmm. and then studying in the mediterranean Mm -hmm. and then you go to ottawa which is notorious for horrifyingly terrible winters oh my god and then (laughs) yeah and then newfoundland and labrador also lots of snow in the winter Mm -hmm. uh how was that well i saw my first snow when i first moved to canada like i'd never
1: seen snow before um which is an interesting experience so here's the thing right like when I saw it, because I remember I was in, I was studying in the TA's room, the teaching assistants room, and I, it was in October. It was close, almost. It was almost Halloween, and so snow just started falling. I was like, "Oh my god, snow!" And so I run outside. I'm like, "This is nice." And then after like five minutes, I'm like, "Oh god, I'm so cold." <laughs> like I go yeah. back in, <laughs> and then and then they tell you like, "Oh, it gets way worse than yeah. this." And I was like what but then it was a it was like almost like culture shock so you get culture shocked different ways right and so that was like culture i was like why is it so cold and i remember when i first moved there was this guy i won't say his name because we're still friends and he was he was it was funny because when i first moved i was like oh man how cold does it get and stuff like that like i've never really experienced extreme cold and he's like oh your eyeballs are gonna freeze I was like, "What?" And he's like, "No, your eyeballs are gonna freeze, your fingers. Oh my god!" So everybody wears like goggles. So for the first couple of days of winter, I had gone and bought ski goggles, and I was walking around in those. It, he, was oh, playing, yeah. like, he was playing. He was playing a prank. And I. I he got you I good. I was looking around ski, but then I realized no one else was wearing them. I was like, "Why isn't everyone else ice freezing?" Cause at first I was still wearing them because I thought maybe their eyes are used to it and mine needs adjustment period. Gotcha. Um, but I, I soon realized it was a joke.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was it was so,
1: interesting. He got me good.
0: <laughs> he got you good. Okay, so so anyway, this job mm-hmm. uh, out on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. What was the job? It was
1: an economist role with. Um, the government of newfoundland labrador it was a internship program i don't know if they still have it but the way it worked is that you work there because what they were trying to do was recruit and train for the next generation as some of the workforce becomes older Mm. so the idea is they recruited from all over the place and you would work for a two-year contracted period um with the opportunity for an extension or a permanent role um with the government. So I worked with the Department of Finance as an economist for two years. Okay. So,
0: and I'm always curious whenever people move somewhere far for jobs, because like I grew up in Southern Ontario. And so I never had to move more than an hour mm-hmm. for work in any direction. But when you're moving like provinces, is there any specific draw like did that role interest you specifically or is it one of those things like you were looking for work and that was the first opportunity that came up that was like oh i can do this i'm gonna take it it's a little
1: bit of both so i was looking for work at the time i think i had even gotten interviewed for target which thank god i didn't get because you know they're not here oh, yeah, they're yeah, not here anymore <laughs> you know yeah for
0: anyone listening target canada closed in under two years yes, did not survive it did not survive
1: um, so I had even interviewed for a business analyst position at Target's, like things like that. That was a good interview experience. I got to say, honestly, people, it was a good interview experience. They flew me out from ottawa to toronto and pick me up in a limo i just have to say that was so nice (laughs)
0: that's probably they burnt
1: all their cash probably that's why
0: yeah i guess so and that's why their prices were so high that nobody wanted to shop there (laughs)
1: probably um so i had interviewed for target so i'd looked for a couple of other jobs and personally, I'm a person of faith, right? So I'm a Christian by religion. And so at the time when I didn't get the target job, because I so thought I was going to get it. I mean, why would they fly me out and not give me a job? Like, are right. like crazy? So I remember when I did not get the job, I was so heartbroken. And so I had seen this job in Newfoundland and I was like, I don't want to go to Newfoundland. It seems so small. There's like, it's you know it just seems so over there, right? And I was I'd already gotten slightly comfortable in Ottawa. I'd moved a lot in my life, so I was like, eh, I don't know, I probably want to sit still for a bit. And I remember that day I was after I had not gotten the Target job, I actually applied to Newfoundland job in anger because oh, I was really ticked off, and I was like, whatever, I'm just gonna send out the resume, whatever. And I remember just about i was about to go for a movie the job was closing at 12 the movie starting at 10 and at nine forty five ish i hit send on the application and i was like what and i forgot about it because i just did you know when you're just like oh you know yeah what's the worst that could happen it. they're not going to take me anyway so i like sent it and two weeks later i got an interview notification <laughs> Did uh, did they fly you out there oh, for that God, job? No. You know government's not gonna do Skype that. Interview. Skype interview. <laughs> it was a, yeah. it was a Skype interview. And and I know I missed this when I was talking about my um master's degree experience. So while during my master's I also had a couple of jobs. One of those jobs was as a program assistant for an evalu um for an evaluation organization. So it's African Evaluation Association. Um, and so one, it was interesting because I took the job obviously for the cash, um, but that one of the things the job afforded me was a trip to Ghana for a conference. And so it was interesting because one of the reasons, among other things, that my resume was picked for the Newfoundland job was for evaluation and for the experience I had gotten just taking that job.
0: Yeah. So like you don't always know you don't what always know. Uh, smaller things on your resume are being looked at, right? Like it's your your degree is really important, but it was that one job you did that was really what they kind of
1: targeted. Because they were looking for an economist who understood program evaluation. Oh, their requirements were very niche. And I didn't yeah. fully realize it. To be honest, I was I really did apply in anger because I was like, oh, whatever, you know, the job I wanted. I mean, the the Target office was so fancy. Oh, my God. I really wanted it so bad. <laughs> uh, they had, like, a game room with, like, PlayStation. Is that
0: the one in, in uh, Mississauga? Yes. Yeah, their head office oh, right off the 401. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. It
1: was so fancy. Um, So, at that time, you know, I just sent out the application. Um, But it was interesting because the role they interviewed me for was an economist with, an understanding of evaluation, which I had picked up because I was working with the president of the organization and I had to read a lot of papers. So...
0: And if if I can interrupt there, I just want to be clear on what that is, because maybe I'm way mm-hmm. off on what that type of role mm-hmm. is. So are you looking at in that role, would you be looking at like uh, government programs and determining whether the benefit of the program outweighs the cost of running the program? Yes. And to an extent.
1: So the way that evaluation works is for it can be different type. It can be a government program. It can be a nonprofit program it could be a wide range of programs, but the role where I specifically work was looking at methodologies as well. So how do you design those tools by which you evaluate different programs? Right. So, um, I worked a summer program that had to do with evaluation put together by the world bank, funny enough. Um, Hmm. so, and as, with that, I also worked with the president of the African Evaluation Association as a personal assistant. And so one of the things that I did in that role was read a lot of papers because we we're having a conference. So some a lot of the submissions that came in as well. So by the time I was going to my interview, which is sometimes, guys, just go, go with whatever tools you have in your toolbox, okay? So by the time I was doing my interview... I was pulling out from, like, things that I had read in, like, random papers and stuff, as well as my economics experience. And, yeah, so I got offered the role, surprisingly enough, and I ended up Amazing. in Newfoundland for two years.
0: Two years. Okay, now, you mentioned it was, like, an intern program and two years' possibility of extension. So it sounds like when that contract came to an end, uh, you chose to leave. And again, knowing how ambitious you are and have been, uh, what was your ambition leading you towards?
1: So essentially, at that point, I think at that point, I had made the decision that I might say I will stay in Canada longer. So, um, you know, the economy in Nigeria was not as strong as it was, at least when I finished university, you know, the job prospects here were much better to me, um, at least for the field I wanted to work in. And so, at least from my view, anyway. So, When I, at the end of the two years, I got an extension because they wanted to keep uh, me for a little bit. But for me, I needed some permanence. So it was a contracted extension. And so for me, I was looking for more permanence, a more permanent role. And so Mm. that's why I started applying to jobs. One of the jobs I applied and eventually got into was as a health economist with the government of Alberta. So with Alberta Health.
0: Okay, and that's based out of Edmonton where you are now? Based
1: out of Edmonton.
0: All right, so I got to, let's sum this up. So you go Nigeria, Cyprus, Ottawa, cold. Yes. uh, Newfoundland, cold. Mm -hmm. Edmonton, coldest.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Nigeria, Cyprus, my first sunburn. (laughs) Then cold. (laughs) Then Ottawa, like, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, now the shift to, like you said, you were looking for something more permanent, Mm -hmm. right? So was the type of work you were doing I mean, you went from um, from more finance side to to health mm-hmm. right So now the, the type of work you're doing obviously there's got to be some similarities there um, but did you find it to be a big shift to go from one to the other? Yes
1: um, So the beauty of economics and I'm a big advocate for economics as you will probably hear as I go through my um, career path, is the beauty of economics is the fundamentals are essentially the same. And I think it's with most courses, you know, engineering, I think you have things that are, that kind of translate across different fields. The difference between them is subject matter expertise. So as mm. some of your listeners are thinking of the career path, don't be afraid to go down one because you know, you can always pivot. As long as you have your fundamentals right, you can always move on or adjust as you learn and you figure life out. So with um, the health one, the economics are, the fundamentals are saying microeconomics doesn't change. Micro uh, microeconomics doesn't change. However, it's the application that changes because you have a different data set.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now that job, being that it was permanent, I have this feeling based on maybe what I saw on LinkedIn, that that's not the same job you're in now. No, or is it?
1: it is not. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. So so give me the rundown yeah. of like from that job, which was a permanent job, mm-hmm. to what you're doing now, what, what kind of things happened that led you 'Cause you're still in Edmonton, yes. but you've switched roles. So what's the story there?
1: Yeah, and I'm still with the government of Alberta, but what I did was at a point, again, I'm I just I'm just a curious human. And so at some points when I felt that I understood enough, you know, and most people will say this will be like, you know, don't stay in a job more than X number of years. You know, stay mm-hmm. in a job as long I, I would say differently. I would say stay yeah. as long as you keep feeling like you're getting value. So a job is a reciprocal rel- relationship, right? You Definitely. give your time, your knowledge, you get paid, but also you gain knowledge and you gain some value for yourself. Sometimes it's for the next job, sometimes it's just for life. Um, So at the point where I felt I had achieved this sufficient amount of value that I wanted to get, my next decision was where um, what role I wanted to go into. I have several sectors in mind that I know have always interested me. Energy was one of them. And so my current role is as a senior crude oil analyst with the government of Alberta.
0: Okay, so you go you go finance, health, energy. So you've touched uh, a whole (laughs) bunch of different, very important, very valuable fields. Yeah. I went from uh, the
1: highest spending category in our budget to the revenue generating category of our budget. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah, Look at that. That's true, right? So at some point you just got to get into education Mm -hmm. and then you'll cover off a whole bunch of uh, different areas. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it was interesting because
1: being, because within the Department of Health, I had gone from just a regular economist to a senior economist, right? And so that mm. means you know within that you had gained a sufficient amount of expertise in that niche health uh, segment. Now yeah. going from that to energy, which you know I did understand quite a little bit, of course, because um, because I had taken energy economics as one of the some of the courses I had taken in university. However, as most people know, education and real life, you know, there is some discrepancy. You have to, you know, mm-hmm. you 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 get your education, but it just sets you up into learning real life application. And so, going into the energy related role is almost like learning again, which for me was great cuz I love to learn, but it's a little bit frustrating cuz you're like Ugh,
0: you know, you kinda want to be there already. You want to be the best already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's It's like when you know how good you were at something exactly. and then you go to something else and you're not gonna start maybe sort of being as good at exactly. it because there's a bunch of new stuff to learn. Exactly. Right? That's gotta be a struggle because like as we've said so many times, you're really ambitious mm-hmm. and so I'm sure you don't like not being good at something. Yeah. And
1: that was that yeah. was a big challenge. I think it was a little bit of a mental shift. Um, you know, having to ask someone to like recheck your work every five minutes because you're not sure if you got it right or like you applied it right or you understood the concept well enough to apply it in a way that you know didn't make you look like an idiot um Mm -hmm. but it was it's been it's been an interesting journey like even because that's the role i'm in right now
0: um it's And now I'm a lot, lot more comfortable, which thankfully so. Yeah. Um, Well, and so to give people like a a perspective on timeline mm -hmm. for how long did it take for you to feel fully comfortable? with what you were doing even though you're already like an expert in economics you have a masters of economics uh-huh. but it's still it still took you a while and you're someone who's super ambitious so what was like how long did that take you to feel that comfortable
1: i will even say like i'm not 100% comfortable right now like i'm i wouldn't still say like i'm like an expert even in the energy yeah. field i will say how many years have you been in i've it now? been in the role about just touching on 2 years okay right so and for those not everyone understands, it so i'll explain energy is very 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 dynamic health is more static as a field of application not as health your Mm -hmm. health status but you know in alberta we have a certain health system the health system works certain ways you know you can pick it up real quick it's you know it's there's that disease prevalence and stuff that's different but then the health status in general and the health system that works yeah. yeah it works a certain way but expenses
0: don't vary exactly. wildly like like in oil exactly. well I, I oil is the biggest part of energy in alberta right exactly. so obviously it's super impacted by the price of oil yeah
1: so it's interesting because oil and energy is a lot more dynamic you know something mm-hmm. that happens in saudi arabia impacts us here in one way or another and so while I wouldn't say I'm an expert, I'm a lot more I will say very comfortably that I'm a lot more comfortable with it. There's I still believe there's, you know, a bit to learn with any job. Even with health, I don't think I knew everything, but you know enough to do your job well. Um mm-hmm. so right now, I think I'm at the point where I'm fairly comfortable, you know, with it. Um there are still times and that's the beauty of working in a team that Um, knows their job and knows Mm -hmm. their job well because what happens Mm -hmm. is that I've been blessed to work in a team where I have engineers where I have all sorts of people not just economists so the economists actually like a small portion of the team but we have you know people that have been chemical engineers structural engineers the reservoir engineers um, people that have worked in business and communication and all sorts It's such a diverse group that You know, when I need to understand how a refinery works, I walk across the hall. Now I do so virtually, but at least you understand what I mean, where you know your spot, but you also understand what you don't know. And I think that's very important where people always forget that. You know what you know, but always understand what you don't know and don't be afraid to ask for help. And so. Oh, I like that. And so for me, like some of it too is, you know, How do like understanding things like assay, like you know what a crack spread means, and that's like you know the value you get from a split in the crude certain way in a refinery, like things like that, and that's a subject matter expertise that you have to pick up as you go, but it also helps to just be be okay with knowing that you don't know everything which is for me is a little Mm -hmm. bit of a struggle and i'm still learning about it but at that point you you leave people open to helping you because if you keep sending you know, no one's going to help you like they're like well she seems or he seems like he knows everything but you know if you just ask like okay so how does this work can you remind me and sometimes if you ask someone once and you forget ask them again it's okay
0: yeah yeah definitely that's one thing that um I have, I have gone through a bit recently with the creation of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of people smarter at, making podcasts than mm-hmm. I am. And um, and I, I mention the podcast now because now that we're kind of caught up on your career path, yeah. I also think we should point out that you yourself have uh, not one, but two podcasts, <laughs> if not more. <laughs> I'm honestly not sure. You're going to have to. So maybe in like a minute or two, mm-hmm. tell me about your your little media company that you've got going on and the podcast that you've got going on.
1: Oh, thanks. Um, so I run Tunoka Media. That's T-U-N-U-K-A Media. And it is, the name is a Yoruba word that means open-hearted, Nearby Yoruba is my mother tongue. And so um, within that company, I have two podcasts currently, and they're one, Africa in My Kitchen, and the second one is called Overlooked. And Africa in My Kitchen is a podcast where my friend and I, and also my co host um, we are on a mission to cook at least one meal from every country on the continent and what, one of the things we do as we cook the meal is that we talk about the country, we talk about the dish, we talk about some of their history, and then we use our life experiences. And as you can tell, you know, we have quite a bit. Um, we use our life experiences and help us to... We use our life experiences as a way to um, connect with both the country as well as, you know, give our view on what the meal tastes like. So, for example, if you've had... Um, Mashed potatoes, and you taste someone. You're like, "Oh, this tastes a lot like mashed potatoes." You know, not everyone has tasted mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. but you have that life experience where you've tasted it, and you know this is what mashed potatoes sound taste like, and it's similar to this, right? um So, part of our mission, of course, is to cook a meal from every country, but also to spread more awareness because, believe it or not, people still think Africa is a country for some reason, right? You say, "I've been to Africa." Dude, what country did you go
0: to? (laughs) Yeah, Africa is far bigger than North America. (laughs) Like there's way more. Yeah, it's I know um, the map projection we use is the Mercator projection, I think. And it shows Greenland as being like the same size as Africa. And that's not even close to at all representative of the size of Africa. Like it's enormous. So there's got to be separate cultures and foods like a ton, I imagine. There is. There is
1: an But one of the beauties of that podcast, and I'll, I'll switch over to the Overlook podcast um, very quickly, but one of the beauties of that podcast is that as we've gone through this journey, you realize we're more similar than we are diverse. So there's a lot of similarities and food is something that brings people together. You come together, you have a meal. So part of the spirit we're trying to show is that, you know, in as much as we have our differences, we have things that bond us. Not just as a continent, because the way we structure the podcast is for everyone. I mean, for you to be able to work, walk into your local grocery store and at least find some of the ingredients. You might have to go to some specialty store, but in a way that anyone can bond with it because it's made by Africans, but it's made for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's. That's great. Yeah,
1: and so we have the Overlook podcast, and the Overlook podcast is a pet project as well, but it's also um, personally where I was on a quest to start learning more about other countries around the world, right? So, and most of it was from the slight aggravation. I think a lot of things I've done in my life is is based on slight aggravation, but on the slight aggravation in that I found m- quite a number of people don't know what's happening beyond their borders or beyond North America. So at the time where I first conceptualized the podcast, you know, the elections in the U.S. were going on. And that was the initial election when Trump got elected. And so that was all there was on the news that you couldn't breathe and walk and drop a spoon. And then there it is on the news. But there's so many things Mm. happening across the world. So the Overlook podcast every week takes stories from across the world and highlights them. It's not meant to be a news um, podcast is not, It is not. But what it's meant to do is spark enough curiosity that people feel more inclined to read more about what's happening across the world.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I haven't listened to that one yet, but I've listened to Africa in My Kitchen a few times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds delicious, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say out loud. But that's. <laughs> It sounds delicious. And so my only my only request is that if I ever make my way to Edmonton and you're filming an episode, I would love to come by and taste what you're making I got you. And
1: week. it'll be good because then you can have someone who has a different life experience explain the meal differently. Yes, so that's perfect. I that's got what you. I want. And part of the reason, like African Kitchen as well, is say, for example, you're going to an Ethiopian restaurant. You know, if you've heard something on our podcast and you see it on the menu, you know, you can try it, or that way people don't feel intimidated going into certain places. Yeah. You know, you could see an Ethiopian pre- restaurant or, you know, an
0: Algerian restaurant and say, you know, I know at least one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, I like that. That's great. That's a good way to uh, to think about that. So as soon as restaurants open back up more widely again in Ontario, mm-hmm. I'll have to listen to a few episodes and pick a few restaurants yeah. and head to. Let
1: well, us know what you yeah, think. I mean, thanks. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I definitely will for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Yemi, thank you so much for sharing your whole career experience because it's it's got a lot more countries than some of the other <laughs> ones I've uh, I've shared on this podcast no so far. Um, I really appreciate it though. Thanks a lot. Thank you,
1: and thanks for being.
0: And that was the part of the interview where Yemi's mic died. So I guess we got pretty lucky that it died right at the end. But anyway, let's move from this on to the final part of the episode. All right, so that is Yemi's career path. Nigeria to Cyprus to Canada for school, and then Newfoundland to Alberta for work. So we know she's ambitious, that much was very clear in the interview, but what else can we learn from Yemi? So first off, sometimes the thing that you want may have ended up being the wrong thing for you to get. Take Yemi's interview at Target, for example. They flew her out, they picked her up in a limo, She crushed the interview and she thought she had the job. She thought it was in the bag, but they didn't end up offering it to her. And in the end, that was a good thing because as we said, Target Canada did not survive and she ended up getting this great job in Newfoundland, which she only ever applied to out of anger for not getting the Target job. But anger is short-lived. And do you really think Yemi cares now about the fact that she applied to that job in anger? No, it worked out. She's happy. They were happy to have her. Everything was fine. So if you're in a similar boat and you're just angry that something didn't work out, shake it off. The anger will pass, life will go on, and you will get a different job. And a few years from now, maybe even months from now, you won't care anymore about that job that didn't work out. Another lesson we can take from Yemi is that even with all the ambition in the world, that doesn't make you invincible. Yemi talked about imposter syndrome, which I'm super happy came up because that's something a lot of people deal with in all different areas of their lives. And Yemi had it while in her master's program, and it was causing her to question the whole value of her Nigerian education in comparison to her Canadian peers. But all of a sudden, when she starts talking to those peers, she finds out they are struggling the exact same way she is. Everybody was having a hard time in that program. And I've definitely said it before on this podcast, and I will say it again, we're all just figuring it out as we go. Not everybody has this grand plan. Hell, this podcast is for people that don't have a grand plan, that are just trying to get to the next job and just trying to enjoy their life along the way. That's just two of the things that I took away from Yemi's interview, but I'm sure there are a lot of lessons that you took from it that I didn't. So why don't you come and tell me about it? Go join the Instagram page and comment on Yemi's post telling me what you got out of it. Or you can go to the LinkedIn page and tell me what you thought there. There are links to both of those things at CareerCrossroadsPodcast.com. And while you're there, I want to draw your attention to the rate show tab up at the top. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the last thing you can do while you're there is sign up for my email list which will make sure that you get updated every time a new episode of Career Crossroads comes out. If you sign up, I will email you next week when I release my interview with Josh DeLuna, a Brit who, despite studying law in university, did everything he could to avoid becoming a practicing lawyer, including moving to a country where he didn't even speak the language.